Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Halakha 101 class taught by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. We did a very long Saif last week. We only did one Saif. We actually did a, a little one at the beginning, but then we did this very long one where we basically talked all about cooking on Shabbat and what you can cook on Shabbat and when that cooking has to start and when it can stop and what does it mean that it's going to get better if it sits and is that okay or is that not okay? So I just want to briefly go over that because it's going to go into this next Saif, which is equally as long, um, but has doesn't have the foundational pieces that, that last week's Saif had. Um, but you'll need to know them to be able to go into this to this second Saif here. So um, nope, that is not the right screen. Hold on one second. Hold on, let me see. Great. Okay, so this Saif that I'm going to, I'm just going to read through it, um, but this Saif, and I'm not going to read every piece of it, this is the Saif that we did last week. So a lot of this is going to sound very, very familiar, um, but I just want to make sure, again, that we have the foundation going into this this week's Saif here. So this is 253 Saif 1. And it says, sorry, give me a second. The laws of Kira and a Tanur, right? So a, a big pot versus a um, an oven, placing pots on them on Erev Shabbos. A Kira is one which is constructed in the shape of a large kettle. Pots are placed on top of it where it has its mouth and there is room for placing two pots. If this Kira was fired by mean of Gefet, of, of like oil pulp, olive pulp, sorry, or with wood, one may not place food on it to cook in the evening with the intention of leaving it there unless the food has already been fully cooked and is shrinking. So this is like a plata to its detriment. So this is mitzamek verala, right? That if it sits on the plata, it's going to get burnt or it's going to get dry or whatever, in which case it need not be feared that the coals in the stove will be stirred. So we don't have to worry that someone's going to come to it and either turn it off or somehow make it such that it um, is cooking differently. So the the dish does not go bad. It is also permitted to place the pot on the stove if the food is raw. It has not been cooked at all. Since it is raw, one will not pay attention to it until the next morning as it can finish cooking during the night without stoking the coals. So this is like uh, Choland. However, if the food is cooked a little bit or even if it is fully cooked but shrinking through the cooking will benefit it, we are concerned that the coals might be stoked. So if you're cooking something that is cooked... um, it's cooked a little, uh, or if it's fully cooked, but you know that by it sitting there, it's going to get better and better and better, then you might come to mess with it. And then we're also concerned about that. Therefore, leaving it on the stove is forbidden unless the stove is raked, meaning unless you've already turned the stove off. And so it in our, in our world, um, so that it's not as hot anymore. If a raw piece of meat is put into the pot, it is permitted just as it would, as if it would consist entirely of raw meat, because now you're not going to pay attention to the pot because that raw piece of meat is going to need to cook. Um, okay. I think that's enough kind of, uh, foundation, right? Where we talked about if it is a type of kindling that would definitely need to be, um, definitely need to be moved around or somehow manipulated that that is, um, that's not okay because th- that's going to make you then manipulate the fire and that's the biggest problem. Um, but if it's something that, that is going to either sit there or has been hot, but now is no longer hot or is getting cooler, that's okay. Um, okay. Let's go to this week's Saif. Okay. So a Kira, this, this, um, the pot, right? Not the, not the oven, but the pot. That is Gerufa or Ketuma. If one removes a pot from it, even on Shabbat, he may return it as long as it is boiling hot. So even if you made it such that it wasn't as hot, the coals were not as hot anymore, you either covered them in ash or you raked them. If you remove the, um, if you remove the pot on Shabbat, you can put it back on that heat as long as it's still boiling. So it hasn't reached a temperature where it would then go back to boiling. It's maintaining the same heat. Ramah, the Ramah says, and it is still in his hand, meaning 
he hasn't put it aside for like two hours and now he's coming back to it. Or in this case, it's saying that you haven't put it on the floor, but that it's still in your hand, right? You didn't mean to take it off or you took it off for one second to put something else down and now you're putting it back on. You have to have the intention that it's going to stay on the heat. This is specifically to, um, to the top of the stove, but to the inside, it is forbidden. So if you're thinking about a stove top versus an oven, right, the stove top, or if in our day, like a, um, a plata is very different than if you're putting it into something that has heat kind of all surrounding it. It is forbidden to return a pot to a tanur, that's an oven, even if it is raked and covered up. So even if the coals themselves are um, are cooling or are completely um, covered, right? They're no, they're no longer an issue of heat. Similarly, a kupach, where fire, which is another um, vessel for heating, when fired with olive waste, olive pulp, and wood. So it's just saying that it goes for this vessel as well. The Ramah says this is specifically when the food is fully cooked. Okay, so if the food is fully cooked, then you can't put it in to the tanur or to this kupach, um, even if you think that it's cool enough that it's not going to continue cooking. It, if, it is then permitted to return it even to another kira. But if it is not fully cooked, it is forbidden even to return it to the same kira, um, to the same, um, what was the word they used? Kettle. Um, there are those who say that all is forbidden only where one removes it from the kira while it is still day and wishes to return it after dark. Um, so there are those who are a little bit more lenient that are basically saying that this is this is only if the timing is different, right? That you would remove it um, during the day of Shabbat, but you want to return it um, after dark. However, if he removes it after dark, it is permitted to return, even if in the meantime, he places it on the floor. So this would be like Friday day, right? If you remove it after, after Friday, after Shabbat has started, but you then mean to return it back to that hot kettle, right? That hot um, plata, uh, it's okay to even have it you know, have a stopover point, whether that's on your stove, um, I mean, on your floor or on your counter. Uh, this is our custom to be lenient for our type of ovens that have the status of kira because a lenient opinion is relied on. Okay. And it is better to be more stringent. <laughs> so we might say that this is okay to be lenient, but actually it's better if we're a little bit more stringent. But in all opinions where it has cooled off, it is forbidden to return it. So if the dish itself has cooled down, right, if you either put it in the refrigerator or you went to shul and it was sitting out on the counter or whatever, you can't now put it back in the oven to make it hotter. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Okay. There are those who say that if one removes the food from the tanur, from the oven on Shabbat, it is forbidden to wrap it up in pillows or blankets. So this is why some people won't cover their dish on a plata, um, because they don't want the heat to go all the way around it. That there is something, um, there is something forbidden about that because the heat is distributing in such a way that it could, could cause, um, a type of cooking. There are those who say that close to dark or close to barhu, so mariv, um, which for us constitute an acceptance of Shabbat, where it, is, where it is close to Shabbat that if the pot would be cool, it would be impossible to boil it up while still day. The same law applies to Shabbat itself. So basically what this is saying, though it's giving you um, great detail, this is basically saying that if it's close to dark, if the pot would then start boiling on Shabbat, that's not okay because you want the, you want to maintain, you want to maintain the heat. You don't want it to have, um, gone back into a cooking state on Shabbat. Uh, nevertheless, it would be preferable to be stringent where there is no real need, but this refers only to returning directly onto the let's call it a plata. However, placing it next to the stove or even next to a fire where the heat is yad, so let it bow is permitted even close to dusk. So if you're going to put it on something that you still would, would not want to leave your hand on, right? It's still too hot to touch. It's permitted to have, um, to have the dish next to it because it's not direct heat. So you're not going to manipulate the heat to manipulate the 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 food item right you're only going to 
have it there to to maintain some of the warmth, but it's not going to actually cook anymore or become very hot. Um, for yeah, Mike, go ahead. You keep talking about boiling. Yeah. Is this is is this see referring strictly to liquids? No, I mean we. I think that liquids are much um, a much harder thing to uh, monitor for Shabbat cooking, but this has to do with anything that would reach a, li- a boiling point. So like even like a baked ziti, right, could start, to, the cheese could start to boil or um, like a, a quiche or something. It wouldn't be boiling, but it would be like uh, bubbling, I guess is another word for it. That they are, they are very much using liquids as kind of the most stringent opinion because again it's the hardest to to deal with um because it changes um status but it's not just referring to liquid here i may be i may have been doing something wrong all along here i had i knew that that you could not heat up a liquid on shabbat yeah not never mind boiling you can't raise the temperature of it period right okay so we never put anything on on Shabbat afternoon, for example, yeah. uh, to to warm up that that is liquid. Mm-hmm. Okay, given that we we tend to use a one fifty oven. Yeah, one fifty is never going to get anything to a boiling point. Right. It's not going to get higher than one fifty. So, if you have food that that is dry, let's say you've got um, uh, barbecued chicken. Okay. And it's left over now, and you want to warm it up. We would put it in a 150 oven, yeah, and and consider that's okay. Am I correct, or am I missing something here? Yeah, that's totally correct. And if it's not correct, we're both doing that wrong. But I but I okay. believe that to be I believe that to be fine. Okay. Yeah, because it's okay to warm stuff, right? That the whole the whole issue is that you don't want it to to continue to cook if it's going to make it better. But you can, if you put if you put chicken in an oven at 150 and you leave it there for four hours, it's going to become very dry chicken. But if you leave it there just to warm, there's nothing about it that's now becoming. I mean, it's becoming more appealing to us as the eaters, but it's not becoming a better dish by sitting in the oven for at that heat um, for that long. So that that's totally. It seems to be totally fine. Okay. Yep. Thank yeah. Yeah, Karen. You may have said this last week. What about if I want to make soup? Yeah. And then, but eat it Friday night. Yeah. When can I start it? When can it stop bubbling? What? So soup on Shabbat is, you basically have to be done cooking it by the time Shabbat starts. Okay. Um, But it can stay on a simmer to be able to serve it hot. Okay. Right, it can't be boiling and it can't be cooking still, but you okay. can cook a chicken soup and then leave it on, you know, the lowest setting on your stove to be able to serve it. Thank you. Yeah, you just can't then put it in the refrigerator and then reheat it on Saturday. Of course not. So I actually very funny story. I totally forgot about this until you just asked this question. But when I was living in Israel, I made a soup for Shabbat that. I thought I could make on, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to like out myself. I'm very good in the kitchen, but this is going to be such a silly, stupid story. Um, I made a soup on Friday. It was done cooking by the time Shabbat started, but it was for Saturday lunch. And I left it on the stovetop on simmer for like, I don't know, a lot of hours. <laughs> and I came back to it Saturday for lunch and it wasn't that it was bad, but it had, it had like simmered for so long that this, that I forget what kind of soup it was, but the fats had risen and had separated because it had been sitting hot for so long. And it wasn't the type of soup that, that does that. And so I had to throw it away, but it was, um, it was not, it was not one of my finer moments, but, um, but you could do that, right? Like if it's a soup that, I mean, that's chillant basically. Like if it is something that, that can sit and can be warm, then you can do that. Um, but you can't bring it, but as Mike was saying, you can't bring it back up to be something that is hot after it's been cooled. Um, I thought you were going to say it was all gone. 
No, it wasn't all gone, but it was very bad. I I really wish I had been able to take a picture because it was just hysterical looking. I was just like very separated and gross and uh I just didn't know any better. <laughs> but uh but so good. Um okay. Um we basically already said that. Okay, so this- what about warming drawers? Well, so warming drawers are okay as long as they're set beforehand. Like you wouldn't want to turn it on on Shabbat. But if you have a, I mean, a warming drawer isn't meant to cook. So if you have a warming drawer, it's basically an, an, an in-case plata, right? It just, it just has the warmth all over as opposed to only on the bottom. I would assume that would be fine. I don't have one, but I would assume that would be fine. Okay. Um, Oh, this is so funny. This is kind of like the soup that I just mentioned, except for I didn't check it in the morning. What about oh, yeah. hot plates? You know, the... Yeah, so that's a plata. That's okay. And that- Yeah, that's totally fine. That's what most people use. I don't yeah. happen to have one. Um, so I do what Mike was talking about. My oven just is on very low if I need to heat things for Saturday um, or for post-Friday night services. Do you want back. a warming thing? What? Do you want a warming I, you know, I've thought about it. I've like, I've thought about it, especially in the winter months. I, I've thought about it. The truth is I'm so nervous about leaving appliances that are hot on. It makes, and for some reason, an oven, which I know you're also not supposed to leave on, but for some reason that feels better to me because it's enclosed. Um, but I've heard so many really scary stories about platas catching things on fire that I just, I've never, I've never thought to get one. Um, but but I know many people who use them and love them and you know I maybe one day. Um, my friend actually when she got married, there's there are certain platas that Israel sells that come they they look like kind of like puzzle pieces and they come in different sizes. So you can you can get like a set of four, for example, and if you only need two that Shabbat, you can put them together. And then you don't have to use the other two. And if you're making a really big meal, you can set all four out. And it seems to be a little bit more, um, like the heat seems to be a little bit more maintained and and uh, manageable and so supposedly safer. But I've never, maybe the next time I'm, I'm in Israel, I'll look into buying them. But they don't have them in America. Okay. Hamashkima Bukavar Asha Hakdicha. Tavshilo Vayar Pen Yakdich. I'm probably saying that wrong. I don't know what that word is. Um, Yoter. So you you can then Yacholasir. Uh, so you can if if one gets up early and they see that the food is burning, right? Um, and you're then you know you're you're concerned in a certain way that it's going to burn more. You can remove it. Uh, you can put it into an older pot, which just basically means another pot. It doesn't necessarily mean that it, you actually acquired it earlier on. Um, oh, sorry. So a, a, an older pot that is, that is empty. So you have to do it, um, from the mouth of the kira, like the, the opening of this, right? We're, we don't use kirot any longer, but it's basically talking about like a, if you imagine a stove top, but the, but the stove, the oven, sorry, underneath it was open. There was no, there was no door. So the top part of it, like where a stove top is now kind of looked like a mouth, right? It just looked like an open kettle almost. Um, a cauldron is the word that I used last week, just like an opening that you would put something on top of. So that's what they're talking about when they say the mouth of the kira, like that opening space of it. And then you would put the pot containing the food on top of that empty pot. So what it's saying here is there, there are three different vessels, right? You you wake up, you realize that the food is is burning. Um, you can you can remove it from from the heat. You can then put another pot um, on top of the in our case, stovetop, and then put it in on top of that so that you're kind of, you're distancing it from the heat. You're not stopping the heat from touching it because you're not really supposed to do that, but you're distancing it from the heat itself. Um, does that make sense to everybody? Can you picture that? It's a weird thing to say, but one should be careful not to place the pot containing the food on the ground and it should be boiling hot, right? So 
what the Shulchan Aruch is getting at here is you should make sure that you're not completely cooling it, right? Because that would be you basically stoking the coals, right? That would be you futzing around with the heat of something. So you shouldn't put it down on the floor because then it's going to become cool, but you can distance it from the heat such that it is no longer on the direct heat. Yeah, title. Um, when you said, can you imagine it? I'm thinking it's like a double boiler, except yeah. you're not putting water on the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. I should have used that as an analogy. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, uh, where was I? Um, okay. It says here that we've said this before. This might be the Ramah. No, it's not. I don't know who this is. Um, it's customary to be lenient, right? We said that before that like people are always lenient around health and also food, um, right? Because they want you to be able to eat the food. So it's customary to be lenient on this. Um, and that even if you put it on the ground, you should, you could still be able to eat it. That's not, you shouldn't do that. But if someone doesn't know, or if in a moment of panic, they put it on the floor, obviously floor for us means like stovetop, um, that would be, it would be okay. You haven't done anything where now you can't eat that food or anything like that. It's just not ideal. You shouldn't, you shouldn't strive to put it on something that's going to make it completely cooled. Any questions on this or thoughts on it? How many of these rules of kashrut and, and cooking and stuff like that do you think would be still, um, would still have been created if it was created today? Oh, many and maybe many more, um, because now we have, you know, we have so much more um, advanced technologies of how to use things. I think there would be more rule. I mean, there actually are more rules, right? Like there's two vote on all of these pieces to say, well, in modern day, you can do this or you can do that. Um Yeah, I mean, I obviously don't know the answer to that question, but but that would be my guess. I mean... If you think about the trajectory of how these came to be, right, they're, the Torah said not to light a fire, and then we came up with, you know, 253 laws in just one book, right? Like, there's law. I mean, obviously, there's more. We're only at the 253rd, but, but you know what I mean? Like, there's, we went from one line to many, many hundreds of, of laws, so in today's day, if we were going to go from one line to what we do in 2022, my guess is that it would be quite an extensive list. Yeah. But who knows? You could be a carrot and not need any of these. And then, you know, then the world is much more simple. Um, okay. So <laughs> I love when it says this, you should protest against someone whose practice is to wrap up a kettle of hot water while it's still, while still day, right? While it's still Shabbat. And then pour it into a pot of food on Shabbat when the food begins to dry out. So what this is basically saying is don't keep your kumkum, right? Your, your hot water thingy. You shouldn't keep that hot so that you're going to use it to moisten some food that has dried out because you did your cooking laws correctly, right? You, you shouldn't go through the process of, um, kind of getting around one law to, to help another, um, and I like that it says you should protest. Like you just, you shouldn't encourage people to do this. It is definitely a workaround, but you shouldn't encourage people to do this. Okay. Um, this is another long one. So let's see. Um, I just want to see if there's, but what if you have, like we have faucets Yeah. that, it, you know, one side you put it, you put the, pull the push the button up and it's cold water and the other side is hot water. Yeah. So, so we're not technically heating in a kumkum because it's always hot right so instant hot water is an interesting is an interesting thing my guess I don't have one and so I've never looked into it myself but my guess is that it would still be considered heating water because it's still going through pipes to become hot water so I know people who have those in their homes and they won't use them to make tea on Shabbat because you're still heating water to get hot water to come out which is why they would have a hot water urn um, set from before Shabbat and then, and then they would use that instead. But, but we're not really heating it because it's already hot. It's hot all the time. It's not hot all the time. That's not how it works. <laughs> it's, it's just called instant hot. So instead of it, it's going through a system where instead, oh, Mike knows more about this than I do. Okay, go ahead. I was going to say, even if it was hot to begin with, 
as soon as you use it, you're introducing a new supply of cold water into the system, which is then going to be heated. Right. So you're now heating water on Shabbat. Right. It's not the kind of thing that is remaining hot, um, remaining hot all the time. Like if it still is, quote, being heated to come out that hot on the other side. Um, okay. Fine. Yeah, sorry. I know. And that some of this is like, some of this just ruins dreams um, when you learn about it. Um, and some of it is great and makes sure that you know that you can do other things that are super lenient, which is awesome. On Shabbos, it is permissible to place onto a pot of hot water a dish of food that is already fully cooked, such as a pan, panades, pandes, I don't know what that is. I think it's like a, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a quiche, a, um, like a souffle, I think. I We can look it up. I remember learning about it in rabbinical school and I don't remember the word now. Um, in order to warm it, since it's not cooking in the usual manner. This is why I think that it's a souffle, because you wouldn't normally, not a souffle, it's not, that's not the word I mean either, a um, casserole, that's the word I'm looking for, that, that there, you wouldn't normally cook a casserole by putting it in water, so it's okay to have a boiling thing of water, right, which I guess could be a big pot of water, or in our case, it could be um like a double boiler, like Renee was saying before, or no, Taiba was saying before, sorry, um, that you would then put that, that, uh, what's the word I use? Not souffle. Why do I keep wanting to say that? Casserole. Casserole. So you put the, thank you. I, just, I don't know why I keep wanting to say souffle. Um, that you put the casserole on top of, and then because you wouldn't normally cook a casserole in water, it's okay to assume that it's going to, it's going to, um, it's going to definitely conduct heat and use that heat to stay warm, obviously, but it's not going to, um, it's not going to cook in the same way. And therefore it's okay. Therefore that's, that is a, that is a enough of a differentiation that it's not going to do anything to the dish. Um, yeah. Souffle makes more sense. No souffle doesn't make more sense because a souffle is, is made in water. When you make a souffle, you put water in the dish when you put it into a, into an oven so that's why souffle doesn't work which is why it was in my head to 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 say that it doesn't work but that it was coming out as the thing that does work it has to be something that isn't cooked with water so a souffle doesn't work um but a but a casserole does um it is definitely forbidden to place food under cloths that cover a water kettle so again this is where we're getting though it's specifically talking about water here this is where you get the idea that if you put something on a plata and it's warming that you shouldn't put a cloth over it number one for fire reasons and number two because you don't want the heat to be able to distribute in such a way that if you just put something on a plata that's not how heat distributes right heat distributes on a plata just from the bottom but if you put a cover over it now all of a sudden it's acting like an oven and it's distributing all the way around and that's not that that in this particular case is not okay for that for that kind of dish. Okay. The Ramah says, similarly, it is forbidden to place food on a kira, right? That kind of open mouth stove thingy. Even if it is gerufar kachuma, even if the ashes have been put on the coals or the coals have been raked, as the sages only permitted chazara, but not placing a pot on for the first time, right? So um, returning, right? Like chazar to return something, as has been explained above. Some authorities permit placing a pot of food into a tanur, so into an oven, used for baking on Erev Shabbat on Friday when no food was left warming in it. It was merely used for baking on Erev Shabbat. Only a small amount of heat remains, and there need there need be no concern that this will cause it to be cooked. So this has happened to me many times where I've come back from shul and something that I thought was going to remain warm is now not as warm as I want it to be. My oven is not on, right, because I forgot to turn it on or didn't think I needed it on. But it's still a little bit warm from when I cooked before Shabbat started because it hasn't been so many hours since then. So I put it in the oven. It's not hot, right? I can open the oven and put something in it and not um, not be affected by the heat, but it's still acting as like a warming agent. It's not going to cook anything. It's definitely too cool to do any major, quote, damage, right? It's not going to make it better or worse. It's just going to warm it. And I've done this a lot. Very often it does absolutely nothing, but sometimes it does help it a little bit or just get the chill off of it that, that I don't want it to have. Um, 
so this is the kind of thing that like when Shabbat is so early in the winter, this is a constant struggle of, do you keep your oven on or do you just hope that your oven is a little bit warm when you get home from shul so that, you know, two hours later when you go to eat dinner, because it's going to be 4 p.m. when you get home from shul, that you that you can actually have warm food or do you just have cold food during the winter um, or do you keep your oven on? So this is that's all that this is um, referring to here. Some, however, are stringent here and hold that if the heat of the tanur is so intense that it is of yad, so let it bow. So it's still so hot that if I touch the, um, what's it called? The um, rack in the oven that I couldn't hold on to it with my hand, right? That that would still burn me, that it's still forbidden. So it's what it's claiming here is that if your if your oven is still so hot that you're using it as a warming agent and it's so warm that you can't touch anything in it, well then it's hot. It's not warm. It's still as if it had things cooking in it. Um, one may not tell a non-Jew to do anything that is forbidden to do himself. So this is basically saying like if there is someone in your home that is not Jewish, you can't say, oh, this dish is so cold. Can you please turn the oven on to, to heat it, right? You, there are ways in which you could ask a non-Jew to heat it for you that are a little bit inconspicuous and your non-Jews need to know to take clues. But, um, but you can't directly say, can you turn the oven on to make it warm so that I can heat this up? You can say something like, I really, I really don't want us to have to eat this cold. And then if the non-Jew says, I'll go turn the oven on, you don't have to say, no, please don't, right? Because at that point, the non-Jew is now doing it so they also don't have to eat the food cold. Um, and it's a, it's a very bizarre workaround, but it's not you asking them to do it. It's them coming to that decision on their, on their own. Um, if one does so, it is forbidden to eat even if it's cold, right? So if you tell a non-Jew to heat something, uh, then, then you can't eat it because it's as if you've done it yourself. So now you can't eat it at all, even if, even if it remains cold and doesn't get heated up. Um, and that's how we hold today. However, if the food has not cooled below the temperature at which it is edible, it may be eaten if the non-Jew heats it up. Um, I'm trying to think of an example of this. Uh, can anybody think of an example? The food has not cooled below the temperature at which is which it is edible. Um, so if it's uh, no, I'm trying to think of like things that wouldn't be good cold, but nothing that wouldn't you couldn't eat it. Like uh, lasagna, maybe you could still eat it. It just wouldn't be as good. Hey. I was thinking potatoes, the same thing. Um, Anyway, okay, as long as you can all, as long as you know what this means, an, an example isn't super important, but just the idea that- Scrambled has, eggs. Can you not eat them? Would it be bad? I mean, I don't think most people enjoy eating scrambled eggs cold. As opposed to, let's say, a hard-boiled egg, I would eat cold. Like, you don't Right, but scrambled. it's still edible, right? Like, you can't, you wouldn't get sick from it. I don't know. I don't eat scrambled. I don't eat eggs. I don't like eggs. It's a weird thing. Um... But I, but I think what it's saying here is because it's saying that it would be, that it wouldn't be edible, right? So anyway, I'll try to think of an example. It, there, it might be that we just don't have a good one. For this reason, it is common practice to have non-Jews remove pots of food from ovens in which they have been stored to retain their heat and place them next to or on top of a heating stove and then have the non-Jewish person light the stove, whereupon the food will become boiling hot once again. So this is basically just getting at a world in which we all have servants, right? Or people living in our homes who are not Jewish, um, which some of, some people still do, right? Some people still have live-in, you know, nannies or maids or like an au pair or something. You could potentially teach them to do this. Most people don't have that any longer. Um, so this could be the kind of thing where a person knows when it comes time for Shabbat, their job is to make sure that all of the all of the appliances that need to be heated up so that the hot the, so the food can remain hot are heated up to do so they're allowed to do that as long as they're not being told in real time i need this done yeah Tybal. i was trying to remember are the rules for what a non-jew who works say for a synagogue can do or be asked to do different than within a person's home 
So well, you've talked about the coffee that I, I don't remember the staff member's name. Yeah, Orlando. Who makes. But yeah. is can one, because a home is so different than a community place like a synagogue that it's more stringent, what you can ask, I guess, because in theory, the community is employing someone like Orlando, but the particular family is employing a servant and it's, uh, in a sense, a closer relationship. Interesting. I don't, I don't think the laws are different, but I do think that the type of like knowledge or ask would be different, right? Like my grandparents, for as long as I can remember, um, have had a, a person who lives in their home with them since my, my mom and her siblings were ch- children, no, not the same person, but they've always had a person living with them in their home. Um, and though my family is not Shomer Shabbat, that person has never been Jewish and potentially could have been taught how to maintain food at a temperature that would be edible, especially because that person was also eating that food, right? This, this was a person who was living in the home and therefore partaking in all the meals that they were also eating. Um, but I don't think that would be any different than someone who's employed by a synagogue. It just would be a different kind of learning process, right? When I talk to our maintenance people on Shabbat, I very often, and for everybody listening, I'm going to out myself, um, but I very often don't have the luxury of of not asking them directly for something. I very often have to say, the microphones are too loud, <laughs> right? I can't say so it seems to me that people seem to be complaining. Like I have to say very directly, can you turn the microphones down or I need you to go and get this or, you know, I, it's, it's a little bit easier with zoom, right. To say, I can't see everybody. And then they'll put it to gallery view or something like that. But, but in terms of actual practical needs, it's, it's much harder because you need to be direct. Um, with an employee, whereas at a, with a person living in your home, you might not need to be given the tasks. I've never thought about those differences, but um, those would, that would be my guess. Yeah, you have, have follow-up? <laughs> yeah, only that I have to say, because I'm laughing, because this past Shabbos, the problem was the microphones weren't loud enough, or uh, people weren't talking directly. I, as someone on, on Zoom, I can't see other people's faces right now. It's usually not loud enough. It's rarely too loud, at least at the Zoom end. That may not be true for live stream. That may not be true for people there. But yeah, our anyway, big, our biggest some issue. Some of the people doing readings on Shabbos just were not close enough. Yeah. Yeah. There, um, we definitely have an, this has nothing to do with halacha, but we definitely have an issue of depending on the person working the sound that week um, of making sure that the balance of loud enough into the speak into the microphones does not mean too loud coming out of the speakers, Um, which if it wasn't Shabbat, I would know how to manage that, but it is Shabbat. So I often can't be the one managing it. Basically what needs to happen is the gain needs to be put up on the microphones and the speakers need to be turned down. But what often happens is the gain is turned down because it, what's coming out of the speakers is too loud. Um, and that's just not how it needs to work. So it is a... Or may is, I just say, I was at Beitenu if I wasn't at the main service, yeah, yeah. just to be clear. Might have been fine for whatever it was about a bar mitzvah, but... Yeah, Beitenu's issue this week was that it was just very windy. And so we were dealing with the elements um, more so than anything else in terms of sound. Um, okay. So, um, um, okay. If, however, the pots are still hot, they may be placed next to the heating stove, right? So if you didn't take something out of a refrigerator, but it's been sitting around getting warm and now you're just going to move it so it's not on direct heat, which at a certain time you are allowed to do before Shabbat, um, it can still be next to something that is warm. So sometimes I will turn my oven off, but keep the thing that was warm on top of my stove because it's still a warm apparatus, right? It's still going to keep some kind of warmth, but it's not going to be in the direct heat. The reason is that has, the reason is that as has been explained, our ovens have a status of a kira. Of a, of a cauldron and placing it next to a kira, which is not garuf vekatum, meaning it's not something where you're going to, you're going to deal with the coals of it or the, in our case, the fire of it. 
has the same laws placing directly on top of when it is something that has been either turned off or cooled down, um, which is permitted. It has already been stated that the customary practice is to be lenient, again, because this has to do with food, and we want you to be able to eat on Shabbat, and to do chazarat, to be able to return that um, pot to the stove, even if you've moved it off of the heat. Similarly, placing a pot next to an oven, um, next, which is not garuf vekatum, is permitted, if the food is still hot and fully cooked. So if you have a pot next to a, an oven, just like ours, right? Um, the idea of, of uh, like a stovetop, right? If you have a pot on that stovetop um, and then you're putting something next to it that is going to have that heat uh, help it, um, uh, it's permitted if the food is still hot and fully cooked, right? So, um, here I can use the example of a souffle. If you made a souffle, you've taken it out of the, of the oven, but you still want it to stay hot. You can put it next to a pot of chulent, right? It's because the pot of chulent is still going to be on a very low flame. And it's going, the souffle is going to benefit from that heat, even though it's not on the direct heat. So that's what we're, we're, we're getting at the leniencies here of how to keep your food warm so that you can eat them and how to make sure that they're not directly either being cooked or being, um, affected by that heat that, that might cause you to, to play around with the heat itself. Uh, what about a campfire or a fireplace? Not that people yeah, today would not, cook on a fireplace necessarily, but yeah, as long as it's not campfire. in the direct heat, that's fine. Yeah, See, would you have to put a blech on a campfire? No, you would just have to not have it in the fire. It'd be to the side. But then, what's the point of the fire? It still would. It still would make something warm. I mean, think about sitting next to a fire. You don't sit in the fire to get warm. You sit next to it. So the 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 pot or whatever, if it's to the side of it, it's still going to get warm. It's just not going to be, be heated over the grill or whatever you would put on the fire to cook it. Probably offering us that souffle. <laughs> I don't think it's coming through our screen, but it is very fun. Because <laughs> uh, I had one, uh, some, I was teaching a point maybe six months ago and I remembered I used a thing of a souffle so I could not resist. Awesome. Love it. That's good. Um, okay. So let's do this next one and uh, we will, I think we'll be able to get through it. Okay. So this is, this is now talking very specifically about preparing food on Friday that are going to be completed on Shabbat. So this is not the chicken soup that I was talking about with Karen, where you want it to be fully cooked by the time Shabbat starts. This is something that you can start on Shabbat. And then it can finish on Shabbat, which again, a cholent is a very good example of this because it's going to be inedible, unedible, unedible. Mm, yeah. Is that right? Unedible? Well, it sounds so inedible, right? Yeah. Okay, great. I said it right the first time and then it sounded weird. So if something is inedible, you can start it right before Shabbat starts because you're not going to mess with it until you can eat it, which is going to be on Shabbat. But if it's like almost cooked, you can't do that because then you might come to to play with it because you don't want it to get too much heat or you want it to get more heat, whatever. So this is this is now what this is talking about. It's gonna tell it's telling us that it's gonna contain nine se'ifim. So there are nine sections of this. We're not. Gonna and, and if you have someone in your family who just like happens to pull the plug out of the out of the crock pot uh-huh. when uh, Shabbat's already started, yeah, then what? When did, when did the plug get pulled? Pick a time, hypothetical. I mean, it's already after Shabbat. After Shabbat. So after Shabbat started. started. Right. Uh huh. So you had, you had a crock pot going. Full of chillings. Okay. Someone pulled the plug. It's definitely raw. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) technically you don't plug it back in. (laughs) Um, it's very hard for me to say that. You know, if it was a child, you could say to the child, we don't pull plugs out and see if they'll put it back in. Um, because at that point, you know, that 
that is not you cooking it, right? And they don't have the same kind of obligation to cooking on Shabbat. Does that apply to a husband who may act like child? No, no. <laughs> Even if the husband is an Israeli, it doesn't apply. Um, yeah, no. Can't is- blame a girl for trying. Oh, Karen just said, call me. Yes, you can call Karen. Call her on Shabbat to tell her to drive to your home to plug the thing back in. Yes, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to endorse that behavior, but I do love it. Okay, Tybal, go ahead. So Thanks, Karen. I'm always interested when there's a hierarchy of mitzvot. So what about the mitzvah of not wasting? Yeah. In Renee's instance, could the mitzvah of not wasting an entire cholent yeah. combined with uh, how you're supposed to um, honor Shabbos outweigh the, because some of this has to be rabbinic, right? And not biblical. Oh, it's all rabbinic. Right. All of the, all of the stuff that we're learning right now is rabbinic. I mean, that we would call it de'oraita in terms of bishul because there's the law in the Torah to not cook on Shabbat. Um, but, but it's not, it's not, you know, God did not tell us that in the Torah, um, to, to not unplug something. So the, yes, it, you are completely correct. And actually my response, not in terms of the plug itself, but in terms of the chalent would be put in the refrigerator. So that after Shabbat, you can cook it, right? It's not going to be of any use to you on Shabbat, but if you want to keep it so that it's good and doesn't go to waste, you're totally right. That would be a great way to remedy it. Um, the other option is, depending on your Shabbat practice, to plug it back in, right? If that If that is going to, if it is going... I think one of the things that you're also getting to, okay, we're probably not going to, let's, we're just going to stay on this topic and get to that next week. Um, but if, if you, one of the topics that you're referencing, Tybal, is um, it, if it's a financial burden, right? If you've spent, let's say it's not a challenge, let's say it's like briskets, right? And you've spent hundreds of dollars on this brisket and someone turned your oven off you know, can you save it by putting it in the refrigerator? Maybe. Um, Should you find a way to make sure that it can get cooked? Maybe. It really just depends on your status of financial burden in that particular case. Um, It also depends on your practice of Shabbat, right? I think in my home, I probably would just put it in the refrigerator and, and deal with it after Shabbat. In my parents' home, even if it was for me and they know that I keep Shabbat, they would, of course, plug it back in, right? And I'd be okay with that because I know that that's their practice. They're fine with that. Um, there are other people who would try to go to their neighbor, their un- their non-Jewish neighbor, and say something about, you know, lunch being ruined and try to figure out a way to get them to plug it back in without telling them to do so. I mean, there are a whole host of ways in which you could potentially get around it. I, you know, I, I clearly am very interested in people enjoying and finding meaning in halakha. I'm also not the halakha police and I, I would never want, I would never want someone to hear me teaching this class or this specific halakha and hear just let, you know, let tons of food that someone else could have eaten or tons of money that someone could have used for shelter go to waste because a plug got unplugged. You know, that's, that is definitely not my perception of the world. Um, even if that's what Halakha says. Yeah, Mike. If, uh, if by chance you also had a plata going or an oven at 150 or something, uh, and you didn't delay too long, I assume you could take the pull out the, the crock, crockery part and stick it in the oven or stick it definitely. on the pasta. Definitely. So if you had, if you had a heating device already going, or by the way, if you knew that someone else near you had a heating device already going, you could take it to them also, right? Like you, if, as long as you live in an air roof, you could take it to their home and put it in their oven, right? Because that also, you, you aren't going to get it to a place of it cooling down so much by taking it to a neighbor's home. Um, and that would be like just putting it in your own, in your own oven. Uh, yeah, Taiwan. Um, is there an Arab around Bethlehem? Oh yeah. All of Los Angeles is in an Arab. It's like, I think it's the largest Arab outside of Israel or something crazy like that. 
Yeah, it's huge. Uh, Karen. So there's also this thing <clears throat> called intention. Yes. And so let's say nobody actually pulled the plug that we know of. It just, I walked by, you know, you walked by and it got caught on your foot. I don't know. I didn't intend it, God. I'm trying my best to follow these rules. Yeah. But don't watch while I plug it in. (laughs) So it has less to do with the electricity and more to do with the cooking, right? So I think that if if it really happened within like a split second and you are comfortable using electricity, then I would say plug it back in, right? If you tripped on, if you tripped on a plug and you noticed and 30 seconds later, you could have that plug plug back in and nothing would have actually happened in terms of the not cooking, the cooking, you know, as, as a rabbi who stands by a lot of halachic rulings, I would say, okay, plug it back in like that. That to me feels very, um, very innocuous in terms of the reason that it happened and also in terms of what what's actually happening to the cooking itself. If your Israeli husband happened to unplug it and you found it hours later and now it's cooled down and the, he didn't put plug it back in after he noticed it, that's a whole different story because now you really are kind of bringing something back up to cooking and it, and it just, it becomes a, a bigger deal itself. And but because yeah. he's Israeli and wouldn't notice. Correct. Um, <laughs> or just not cooking and therefore didn't notice. Um, but, but yeah, that I think that's a very different scenario than, than one, like you mentioned, Karen, which is I'm trying, I knocked something out of place. I didn't mean to because that's the kind of thing where like I turned the lights off. I didn't mean to, I don't usually use electricity on Shabbat. How do I get them back on? You turn them on with the other hand, right? That's what I would say in Halakha. You, you just, oh, you usually turn lights on with your left hand. Well now turn them on with your right hand. And it's as, as if nothing happened. So there are ways in which our rabbis get around mistakes, but it, and so you're right. That intention is important. Um, but it's also important to recognize whether or not you've you didn't recognize it in enough time to now to have it be a mistake any longer. Um, yeah. All right. This was, that was that was a great question. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.